The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16 to verse 20. Let's worship the Lord by listening very carefully to this, the public reading of his word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. That's far the reading of God's word. Let's seek his help as we receive his word today. Let's pray together. Lord, we bless you for this, your word, and we pray Oh God, even according to that wonderful promise, the promise of your presence with your people, that you would come to us even now. Oh Lord, may we know your presence and your grace, the power of your spirit working in us and through us. Uh, Bless the preacher. May my words be only your words, and may they serve to build up and bless your people in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In whose name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning, our journey comes to an end as we finish the the gospel. We come to the end of the gospel of Matthew. Uh, But the journey continues. Christ's kingdom commission, we consider this morning, it continues to the very end of the age. But we finish the gospel. And the reason I speak of the end of the journey is because I'm thinking back to uh, when we began the journey. You might recall my introductory sermon on the gospel of Matthew uh, we were helped by the words of R.T. France, who describes, and in helping us think about how to approach Matthew, the structure of Matthew, he suggested that this gospel is a continuous narrative. It's sort of an ongoing story, continuous narrative structured around the geographical progress. And I said, that's like a journey, the, the journey, the geographical progress of the Messiah, from his Galilean homeland to his rejection in Jerusalem with its final triumphant scene back home in Galilee. It's that final triumphant scene in Galilee, which is before us today. So Matthew has told us the story of the journey of Jesus as the Christ. He has has, uh, has fulfilled or carried out his work as the Messiah on a journey which has taken him from Galilee all the way to Jerusalem. And we've seen the way that it has culminated in his suffering and his death on the cross. But praise God, the story did not end there in Jerusalem. Here he is risen from the dead. Of course, that was witnessed even in Jerusalem, even there at the tomb. But we see this morning how marvelously this this God-ordained journey has taken him back to where it began. Uh, as uh, France writes, the story concludes where it began in the hills of Galilee. And how marvelous that these lowly, remember, these were the despised ones, these Galileans, they, they're able to reassemble in their home region and they see him. They see Jesus. This is Jesus of Nazareth. 
Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, how about a resurrected Lord, Messiah, King? How about one who has conquered sin and death? How about one who now commissions his disciples to carry out his gospel to the ends of the earth? That's what we consider this morning. See in verse 17 that it was incredibly wonderful, literally incredible, as they were worshiping him. Some of them were doubting, is it really true? Could he be alive? Yes, Jesus has been raised from the dead. We've already established the, the fact of the resurrection and even considered some of the, the meaning. Uh, Pastor Holst spoke last week about the, the, the significance, the theological significance of the resurrection. This, this great commission passage really gives further instruction about the meaning of the resurrection. What does this text teach us about the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead? Well, I would suggest this morning that put simply, the resurrection proves that Jesus is the Messiah a king and that his kingdom has come. That's our message this morning. The resurrection proves Jesus is the Messiah king and his kingdom has come. And as we consider that message, I have four points for us, four things I want us to consider about the kingdom or about Christ's kingship. We'll see first that it is kingship over all. He's king over all. Secondly, we'll see his particular claim, we could say his kingship claim, upon his baptized disciples. Thirdly, we'll see his command of total obedience. And then lastly, we'll see the, the, the promise of his presence forever. But consider first then his kingship over all. We're considering the universal scope of the kingdoms. He told his disciples in, in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. By the way, one thing we can note in the passage, maybe the children can enjoy noting this, we see four occurrences of the word all, four alls. They can correspond to our four points this morning, although the second one certainly pertains to the first point as well. But note that it says in verse 18, all authority has been given to Christ. Then we note in verse 19, the disciples are to be made of all nations. Verse 20, they're to be taught to obey all of Christ's commandments. Now, the last all is not so clear in English. It's in the, the second part of verse 20 there. Christ promises to be with his disciples when? All ways. In the Greek, it's all times. It's the word all, but all times. So four alls. But back to our first uh, point here, all authority. What a marvelous uh, sweeping claim of kingship, total dominion. Of course, we know that, that, that Jesus had a right to make such a claim even as God. Jesus is God. He's God the son. And in that sense, we can say he was always king. But what we see this morning is that he claims kingship in a new way. This is merited kingship. Of course, only God's work is inherently meritorious. And so it's, 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 it was only possible that God could do a work by which he would attain such kingship over everything. And it's, 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 it's fitting that, that in this a context in which Jesus has finished that work and he's raised from the dead, that we see his deity perhaps more clearly stated any, uh, than ever before as he 
commands baptism now to be administered in the triune name. His own name is appropriately right in there, right between the Father and the Spirit and that beautiful Trinitarian formula. So God was always king, but now he's uh, he's asserted his kingship in a new and wonderful way. The resurrection proves, it proves that what was said in mockery, there's Jesus, king of the Jews, has actually been proven true. King of the Jews, and not just king of the Jews, king over not, not only Judah, but all Israel, as David had once ruled over the entire kingdom, and, and, and after him, Solomon, before the kingdom was divided. We recall that Matthew's gospel began by telling us that this is the gospel, gave us the genealogy, showing that Jesus is the Christ, the son of David, the Messiah. God had promised David that that from his offspring, one of his descendants, a son of David would become that king, the throne of whose kingdom would be established forever and ever. Well, in claiming all authority, clearly Jesus was here now claiming that 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 promise is fulfilled in me. The throne of David is mine, king over all, but not only over all Israel. There's there's been a progression on the journey here. Uh, We've progressed from chapter 10, where Jesus had sent his disciples out on that mission, and he told them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, go rather, go only to the lost sheep of Israel. Well, now there's been an expansion. Not not that this excludes Israel. Of course, Israel is concluded. The mission will begin with them. It begins in Jerusalem to the, the Jew First, this kingdom is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to Israel, but Gentiles are now also included. Recall the the messianic prophecy of Daniel 7, verse 14, where God promised that that, that to him, to the, the Son of Man, the Messiah would be given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Jesus was claiming, I'm the king. I, have, I now have dominion over all of the earth. And indeed, over every, every part of creation, even the sun, the moon, and the stars, even the, the tiniest creatures. This past week in my house, we were dealing with tiny, tiny creatures scratching in our wall. We were thinking there must be mice. And here I am reflecting on the, the lordship of Christ and thinking the resurrection proves that Jesus is Lord, even over those mice. Lord, help us deal with this problem of the mice in our walls. Lord over everything. And not over, not even over, only over everything on earth. It doesn't end there, does it, right? Children, does, does Jesus say, all authority only on earth has been given to me? This is all authority in, in heaven and on earth. This is even greater than what Satan had offered him. Remember when he tempted him in the wilderness and he took, them, took Jesus on the mountain. He said, showed him all the kingdoms of this world and said, all this I will give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Praise God that Jesus resisted. Jesus faithfully worshiped and served God alone. And God has now now bestowed upon him something even greater than that which the devil had offered. Even the invisible, unseen realm, even where God dwells in all of his glory, there's Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling over the angels, 
given a name that is above every name, that, that every knee shall bow, uh, shall bow in heaven and on earth. Indeed, isn't it marvelous to think that, that it's in his kingdom where the, the separation between earth and heaven will at last be done away with. God will come and dwell with his people in the new heavens and the new earth forever and ever. This we were told in Ephesians 1. This is the, 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 uh, the fulfillment of God's great plan, the plan for the fullness of times to unite all things in him that is in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Ephesians 1.10. Did the disciples all understand all of this as they were seeing Jesus there on the mountain? I doubt it. Some were struggling yet even to believe that it was true, that he'd been raised from the dead, but soon they would come to understand. What, what astounding truth for these lowly Galilean disciples to take in. Their rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, was indeed the God-man, the Messiah, Lord of heaven and earth. And it's not that this was the first time that Jesus had claimed this status as the Messiah. Uh, We can say two things. It had now been proven, the resurrection proved that it was true. And it it was now uh, what was seen as something which was a, a future expectation had now been an accomplished reality. He was the king. They would go on to preach that in raising this Jesus from the dead, God had declared, God had made him to be both Lord and Christ, King of heaven and earth. But then note, secondly, the second thing we see about his kingship this morning is his particular claim upon his baptized disciples. Yes, Jesus is king over all, but he's king in a special way over his people. This is the second all, verse 19. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. King over all, yes, even over the mice and even over the sun and the moon and the stars, but we're not commanded to go and disciple animals or luminaries. We we, we could do a, a whole sermon this morning on the meaning or the theology of baptism. I think we do well to think, focus in on how wonderfully it reveals God's grace, the greatness of God's grace, grace that will now extend and fill the earth, going to all of the nations. We, we rightly speak of baptism as being a sign of the covenant of grace, grace to forgive, grace to make us new. Isn't it marvelous that as Christ's journey comes to an end, at least here in Matthew's gospel, he's now revealing the fullness of God's wonderful grace. I hope that everyone here today has experienced that grace in your own life. I see a number of visitors among us, and so I I don't know if it might be possible that there's one here who's never come to, to, to commit your life in faith to Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are on your journey in your own life this morning. Perhaps you've perhaps you've never come to Christ. You're, you're, you're hearing that this Jesus is king over all of the earth, but friends, that will do no good to those who have never bowed the knee to him as king, because if you've never done that, you're yet a rebel in his kingdom, and your journey will not end well if it remains that way. You're on a path that would take you 
unto judgment. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've, you've never believed and been baptized and joined to Christ's church. Or perhaps you were baptized at one point, but your baptism is something that has never meant anything in your life. You've known nothing of the life of true repentance, faith, the life of true discipleship. If that's the case, you've only made a mockery of your baptism. But here you are. Your journey has brought you to the place where you are confronted this morning with the claims of the resurrected Christ. You need salvation, and his resurrection proves that he's the only one who can save you from, from, from death, ultimately from hell. And not only is he, he able to save you, but he is willing to save you. Oh, what grace forgiveness. It's interesting that at the end of Matthew's gospel, he doesn't use the word forgiveness. And that's unlike the end of Luke's gospel, which tells us that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning with or beginning from Jerusalem. But this is a text with, by the command to baptize, it's filled with the message of grace, grace which comes to all who believe. I want to tell you today that it does not matter what you've done. There's no sin so great that Christ cannot forgive you. Think about how that was proven in the lives even of these disciples, every one of whom had turned away, scattered, forsaken their Lord. And here was Jesus. His blood now had been shed for them, crucified, risen from the dead, now vindicated as the righteous one. He's the only one without sin. He's the righteous one. It's proven in his resurrection, but how wonderful that they learn that his righteousness was not for them. It was not against them, rather, but wonderfully, it was for them. He was not here to condemn, <coughs> excuse me. not here to condemn <clears throat> condemn them for their sin not to not throwing in their faces their failures isn't it marvelous there's no no word of anything they've done in this text it's almost like he's saying forget about the past now look to the future not only are your sins forgiven but you will be my instruments now to make known my grace to the nations here again with the, the command to baptize, there's been expansion that has been taking place. Remember that, that baptism began in Israel. John was sent to Israel with that baptism of repentance. Israel needed a new start. They needed forgiveness. The covenant-breaking nation needed new life. Well, in that way, Israel was a, a picture of what you are and what I am by nature, a fallen world in rebellion and sin. And what a marvelous thing here that Jesus was now commanding that all the nations should be baptized, baptized with a greater baptism, just as Jesus was greater than John. After one, after me will come one greater than I am. And he's the one who will baptize not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What John was looking to, looking to as something future had now Arrived. And so Christ was giving the sign of that, that grace whereby all who believe can be washed and forgiven, made clean through his precious blood, which had been shed on the cross. And he washes us by his spirit. That is, he renews us. He changes us. 
as Heidelberg 70 says, the Spirit sanctifies us to be members of Christ so that more and more we die to sin and live holy and blameless lives. Forgiveness, new life for all of the nations. Not only is is Jesus the, the son of David, but he's the son of Abraham. He brings the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, Genesis 12, that all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. Friends, if you've if you've never experienced that blessing, if you've never received that great salvation, I invite you to come now, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, and you will know the blessing. May all of us as God's people this morning come to know that blessing more and more, the blessing of, of a life in fellowship, walking with God, learning of his kingdom rule, his covenant lordship walking in his commandments. That brings us to our third point this morning. The third thing we see about Christ's kingship, and that is his command of total obedience. This is the third all, children. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all, all that I have commanded you. Baptism is initiation into a life of discipleship. It's good for us to remember that. Even children, you're so blessed. If you are baptized, God's name is placed upon you. You're included among his people, members of the covenant community. What a privilege that brings great responsibility, a call to be learning, to walk with Christ, learning his law. And I think on on this point, it's appropriate to point out how Matthew brings all of it together. Not only is Jesus the the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham and and to David, but he's the fulfillment of all that Moses, the lawgiver, had spoken. It's interesting that just as Moses had met with his people on the mountain, here Jesus has called his disciples, verse 16, called them to the mountain to which he had directed them. Jesus is the, the greater than Moses. He's been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, we're told in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 3. And so Jesus rightly assumes the very highest place. He doesn't tell those disciples, now go and, and obey all that Moses commanded you, right? No, he says, go and obey all that I have commanded you. He's not discarding what Moses has written, but he is claiming that he is the one who mediates even the law of Moses as it still applies to us. And we obey the Ten Commandments only through the mediation, the authority, the grace of Jesus Christ, the mediator who is God. And note this, Moses, he went up the mountain to receive the law of God and go and teach. In this instance, Jesus calls his disciples up the mountain. He's the one who gives the law to them that they might go and teach. Jesus was speaking with the very authority of the Lord, the Lord of the covenant. In this regard, I think uh, it's, it's very helpful to recall the words of Moses in a particular passage, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10. And in fact, I'd invite you to turn there in your Bibles if you'd like to see it yourself. Deuteronomy chapter 10. There's a number of uh, very wonderful connections, I think, helpful connections that we can make even to our text this morning. But Deuteronomy chapter 10 and beginning in verse 12. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 says, 
And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Now, keep your finger there. A couple of things we can say at this point. You note that in our text, Christ is clearly calling for the same kind of obedience and devotion to himself, to his commandments that the Lord rightly commanded of his people at Sinai in the old covenant. And the Lord did so rightly, didn't he? He had so given his grace to his people, delivered them. He'd given himself to his people. How could they not in turn respond by following him in faithfulness and loving him with all that they were in keeping his commandments? Well, it was tr- if it was true then, how much more had it been proven true now that God had come and had, in his great love, gone to the cross for them in the person of Jesus Christ. Of course, he called them in turn to love him, to take up their place in his kingdom by keeping his commandments, all of them. This morning, I think we do well to to focus on one particular commandment, the very one which we see come out in this text so wonderfully and if we if we if we love god then the thing that will be dear to our hearts is the thing that is dear to god's own heart and what is that well it's people it's people look back again at at, uh, deuteronomy chapter 10 your finger is still there. So many wonderful connections I mentioned to our text. I mean, note in verse 14 how the Lord reminds the people that I'm Lord of everything, everything on earth and even the heaven of the heavens, right? Just like Jesus claims that authority. And he said, but he speaks to his particular lordship over his people in verse 15, just as Jesus was doing. Uh, in verse 16, there, this speaks of the need for circumcised hearts. We can link that to baptism and the grace signified in baptism. But I want, what, I want, what I want us to focus on particularly is in verses 18 and 19, where we see God's love for people. It says in verse 18, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. And note this, the Lord loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And so what's the application? Verse 19, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Beautifully, we see God's heart for the sojourner, the the, the foreigner, particularly as, you know, they were vulnerable as sojourners in the land. But what love, what grace. And as we come back to our text what we're seeing is that that love of that that love and grace of God is more fully revealed and that we we see his heart for the foreigner and, and the foreigner is welcomed into Israel but it's not only that the foreigner is welcome to come to Israel now Jesus is commanding Israel go go to the foreigner right my my kingdom will will fill the earth and in a sense what Jesus is saying now you become the sojourners go take my gospel to all of the nations, go, and with you will go my very own heart, myself, my own presence. That brings us to our last point briefly this morning. The last thing we see about Christ's kingship, his promise of his presence forever. This is the last all. And again, end of verse 20, behold, I am with you always, 
to the end of the age. Of course, this, this anticipates God giving himself in the, in the Holy Spirit, which would be sent at Pentecost. The, the Holy Spirit would empower his disciples to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. But what a marvelous fulfillment of God's covenant promise. I will be your God. If I'm your God, I will be with you. And a fulfillment of the, the messianic promise. Who is the Messiah? But Emmanuel, God with us. But in this context, we have to see that it is a, a promise of his presence, particularly enjoyed as his disciples in obedience to his command, they go forth. And that way, yes, the journey continues. The journey continues, but it's Christ's journey. It's his work, and we're privileged to be part of that work. Do you love God this morning? Do you love his presence? Do you cherish the thought of God being with you? Well, enjoy that presence, particularly as you see yourself playing, uh, uh, playing your part in that role uh, of proclaiming his gospel throughout the nations. Of course, we're not all called to go. We're not all called to do that in the very same way. One important way we do that is, is we send. We send missionaries we truly believe that that Christ is with them, then we too in our hearts will be with them, pouring our hearts into their work with our own support and love and zealous prayers. But even more than that, we, we are all called to live as witnesses for Christ to the world around us. We have different circumstances, different gifts, different, different callings. We're not, we're not all called to go and preach, right? But we are all called to see this as our work. We're all called to play our part. Maybe your part will be to go out with us and go knocking on doors. We had a wonderful experience when we did that, that last time, an opportunity to invite people to church, leave them a gospel tract. And it even opened up opportunities to share the gospel, even right there on the spot. Lord willing, we're organizing another opportunity to do that. If you'd like to join us in that, uh, one of the, the last weeks in February here, or perhaps uh, the first in, in March. But even if, even if you don't join us, see this as your work. Be praying that God will bless that effort. We are all called to play our part. Let us do so without fear. If fear is keeping you in any way from, from being faithful, well, that, the same is true of me. The same is true of all of us at times. I would encourage us with the words of Christ, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know, all of the hostility, all of the hatred, all of the scorn that this world can throw at us, it will never change the fact that Christ is present with us and it will never thwart his kingdom purposes. He will fulfill his mission. Do you lack wisdom as to how to, 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 to play your part in carrying out that mission? You know, what to say, how, and when to witness for Christ. When simply to, to model the gospel by showing love to your neighbor and faithfully praying for them that God would open up opportunities and, and use your witness. But when to go further than that and to speak openly about the Lord, even speak with your family, your friends, your neighbors, loved ones, speak with them about their need of Christ. That takes wisdom. Well, the Messiah who has promised to be with you has also promised to give you his wisdom. Do, do you doubt your ability? Just look at how Jesus used these disciples 
I mean, talk about them unworthy, how they'd failed their Lord. It must have been an embarrassment for them even to see him again. And yet that didn't stop Jesus from using them. To, to, to paraphrase one writer who spoke of, of, of these words of Jesus to, to his disciples, he said, their great failure was left far behind and it was swallowed up in the much greater reality of the mission to which he was now sending them, the mission on which they were called, the mission on which you and I are all called, indeed all who name the name of Christ, brothers and sisters with the disciples. Let's come to Jesus this day. Let's glory in that one who has been raised from the dead. Let's cast off our doubts and let's worship him in all of his glory and let us go. The, the, the journey indeed continues. This is a, a journey of uh, learning to live as his baptized kingdom disciples. This is a journey of learning to obey all that he is commanded. And this is a journey of obeying that command in the way that God calls us to take that gospel to the ends of the earth to continue on our journey until at last that journey ends in glory. And we're assembled once again, not in Galilee, but there in heaven around Christ's throne to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. May God help us to be faithful. Let's pray together. To that end, Lord, we pray that you would bless us and fill us, fill us with your word this day, fill us, us with your spirit, fill us with your own presence and your grace, O oh God, that we might believe and that we might obey all that you have commanded us. For we ask for this in Jesus' name, amen.